uh, stand with me. Uh, we're going to read as we have uh, each week from Matthew 28. And here's the test. Uh, either did you bring a Bible with you, because it's good um, to have a Bible in front of you um, when we're reading it, uh, or did you, have you memorized it, because these words will not be uh, on the screen. So I'm going to read them. If you know them or if you have them in front of you, read with me. Uh, otherwise, listen to these words from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew uh, 28, beginning with verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So for these three weeks, and we have two more weeks in this Sermon on the Mount series, but for these three weeks, this week being uh, the concluding week, we, we've kind of drilled down and focused on um, and, and, and taken a, a bit of a pause uh, or, or a slowdown to consider what, when we talk about making disciples, the way that we are able to make disciples always, always, always is, is by the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It is, it is simply being available and being willing to be used uh, in, in such a way that the, the good news of the gospel goes out from us, yes, in the way that we live our lives, but also in the things that we say, right? You, maybe you've heard the saying, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words, and I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that there should be something about the way that we live that helps people see and understand and know something of the gospel, but I also think that we allow that saying to let us off the hook too often, there is something to the proclamation of the gospel, the proclamation of the good news of what has been accomplished in the person of Jesus, right? The fact that, that my life, my hope has nothing to do with what I have done, what I can do. It has nothing to do with my giftedness. It has nothing to do with being able to say the right things. It has nothing to do with the fact that I have been a part of the church since childhood. It has nothing to do with any of that. My hope rests solely on the work, in the work of Jesus on the cross to provide for the forgiveness of, of my sins by being willing to sacrifice himself to take the sin of humanity upon himself, as, as uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. My hope rests solely in the person of Jesus, right? And I should be able to testify to that hope. I should be able to give reason for my hope, and I should be able to give reason for how that hope has transformed, and I love this about Wesley and his understanding of grace, has transformed and is transforming my life. I, I'm not there yet. I haven't reached the finish line. I have not reached perfection. I am not the fullness of the image and example of Jesus on this earth, but I, my hope and my prayer is that I'm moving in that direction, right? That's what we're inviting people into, into the journey. So, so what does it mean to be a disciple? And in order to uh, better understand that, when we talk about making disciples, we, we went back to um, the Sermon on the Mount also in Matthew's Gospel. So we spent three weeks, this being the third, uh, well, two more weeks in this series, 
looking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is in uh, Matthew chapter 7, we talked about um, true and false prophets, and we were invited to examine um, those things and those people that we are allowing to disciple us and, and shape us and inform us, um, and, and, and do so by examining the fruit of their lives or the fruit that is being born through that thing or that ideology or that uh, political affiliation or whatever it is that you are looking to uh, that you believe is, is in some way important to your life or, or shaping your life. But also, it's an opportunity for us to examine our own lives and say, all right, if, I am, if something is being used to, to bear fruit in my life, what is what is that fruit? What does it look like? Um, and again, would people be able to look at your, like if you were, if you were on the witness stand uh, for being a, a, a Jesus follower, for being a disciple, a Christian, what examples would there be that would prove the fact that you are a follower of Christ? Or would, would the witnesses look and say, huh, you're a Christian? I, I really didn't know that. You're nice. You're a good person. Kind, you're kind. But, but kindness does not equal Christianity. Um, as a follower of Christ, should you be kind? Absolutely. But being kind is not enough, right? So we're invited to examine the fruit of our lives. And then uh, last week uh, we looked at, um, gosh, I mean, this is just really challenging. These are challenging words from Jesus here at the end of uh, Matthew's gospel or, or the Sermon on the Mount that Matthew um, captures in his gospel. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The will of the Father is to believe in the one who he sent, uh, and that is Jesus. Again, that all of our hope rests in Jesus and what he accomplished for us. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. So to examine what, where, where is our hope? Is it in the things that we have done? Is it in what we have accomplished? Is it in the fact that we can say, I, I go, I attend church regularly. I give, uh, I tithe. I give my 10% uh, regularly. I am uh, kind to people. I have my quiet time. All of those things are good. All of those things are good. Don't mishear me. Um, Paul says in Ephesians that, that we are saved um, by grace, through faith, um, not by works so that we cannot boast in works, but we are saved um, to do the works that God has prepared for us to do. So, so working it out, living it out, bearing fruit, that's a part of it, but it's not our work that's going to rescue us. Our only hope is in Jesus, and that's what he's dealing with here. And so we conclude uh, this Sermon on the Mount. And if you were to go back and begin uh, in Matthew 5, and if you're looking for something to read in your quiet time, I would invite you to spend time in the Sermon on the Mount as we continue through this series over the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. Spend some time in that over the next couple of weeks and, and ask yourself, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And am I living into these things? Because this is exactly uh, where we land this week as Jesus wraps this up. So uh, Matthew seven twenty four, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. 
And then this is important. This is how Matthew concludes this section before we move on. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. He taught as one who had authority that was his own. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago uh, in looking at the Great Commission at the end of Matthew chapter 28. We read that Jesus knows that all authority in heaven on earth, on earth has been given to him, and he, he, he says that to his disciples, right? He, he meets their worship and their doubt because worship and doubt existed in the same space in that moment when, when the disciples encountered the resurrected Christ. He answers their doubt by offering them, them the fullness of who he is. And here, again, we see Matthew, um, even, even to those who are, in, who are listening and, and paying attention and have been hearing this teaching, they are able to say, he teaches as one who has authority. Now, the Pharisees had an authority to teach that was given to them, right? Their authority was only to, to, to teach God's word. But that authority was not theirs inherently. It was given to them. Right? And, and one of the things that we, we see Jesus dealing with in this Sermon on the Mount uh, and in his teaching in general, you, you will hear or see him say, you have heard it said or you have heard it taught, but I say. And so, so Jesus, as one who, who is the authority and who has authority to unpack um, and, and to, to proclaim to us God's word and the law, uh, is recognizable in the way that he teaches. And I, I want to um, go back and, and look at this. And uh, Matthew 5.17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus' teaching is not to take God's law and say, okay, that, we can do away with that. Jesus came as the fulfillment of God's law. He came as the example of what it looks like to live this out in a way that is perfect, which is why he is the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished lamb who was slain on our behalf because Jesus' identity was rooted in his connection to the Father. His identity was not rooted in the things that he did. And this is where the enemy begins to, to tempt him after he is baptized, after he comes up out of the waters of the Jordan, the Holy Spirit whisks him away into the wilderness, and after fasting for 40 days, the enemy or the tempter comes to him, and, and one of the first places that he attacks him is in his identity. If you are the Son of God, then do this. And so much of what we chase and so much of what we are in pursuit of and so much of what we are tempted by in this world is wrapped up in trying to create a name for ourselves or trying to secure a name for ourselves or trying to somehow assure to the world around us that we are who we say we are. So much of where we are tempted is in the area of identity. But for Jesus, his identity was not rooted in the things that he did. His identity was rooted in his connection to the Father in the same way that our identity is meant to be rooted in Jesus and who he says that we are, not what this world says that we are. So he teaches as one who has authority, authority to speak over us. You are a child of God. Authority to speak over us. You have been adopted as one of God's children, not by your own merit, but by what Jesus does for us. And then the work that we do comes out of that. So now here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has, has spent uh, what we read is Matthew 5 and 6, and even uh, the beginning of seven, 
laying out for us, hey, here, here are some things that, that ought to be true about your life and the way that you live as a citizen of this kingdom that has come near. And, and in order for us, I think, to appreciate the fact that that still has bearing on us today, think about how many people that we talk to or how many things that we read or how many, um, you know, op-ed pieces or, or, or just the, the kind of headlines in the world in general, the disillusionment that we tend to have with the way things are going in the world. Many of us would say about the world or about just your own life, you could say, yeah, there's some things in my life that I wish were different. There's some things in this world that I absolutely wish were different. Things are not as they should be. The fact that we can say that ought to give us an appreciation and a hope and a hunger for the fact that what we read in Matthew's gospel from John the Baptist, what we read from the very mouth of Jesus, that the kingdom of God has drawn near, that one kingdom has drawn alongside another, and I even like to think of it as a collision. One kingdom has collided with another. And it is the kingdom that represents us moving toward the way that things, um, things becoming the way that they were intended to be from the start. Things are not as they should be. The very fact that we can agree upon that ought to invite us and challenge us to lean in to what Jesus is teaching and what Jesus is offering. So Jesus has just spent time speaking to this crowd of people. We don't know how many, but, but it's evident that it's more than just his disciples. It's more than just the 12. So a crowd of people has gathered, and Jesus is teaching to them. And Jesus closes this sermon with some, I mean, really incredibly difficult words, beginning with uh, Matthew seven thirteen, where he starts talking about entering um, through, through the narrow gate uh, versus the way that is, that is wide. So he kind of wraps up this sermon with some some hard teaching. One of the ways that I, I like to try to wrap up a sermon is, is not by Scott wrapping it up with a bow, right? But just leaving you with a what if question. What if this were true about your life? Or what if uh, you, you made this decision in, in relationship to who Jesus is? Or what if you surrendered more deeply um, your life to, to Christ? Like what, what might that look like? Right? And that, that creates space for you to deal with it and, and hopefully for you uh, to kind of lean into that. Jesus, what we see here at the end of Matthew's um, <clears throat> account of the Sermon on the Mount, he is not trying to coerce anyone. Right? And, and it's the thing that's true about the way that Jesus teaches. Jesus is not offering this as another great option. Jesus is offering what he's offering about the identity of those who consider themselves citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus ultimately is offering himself as the option, not another option. That perhaps is where we have gone astray and been led astray as the church, is because we are listening to a world that is offering us option after option after option after option. You can create for yourselves any manner of things that you want that will, that will um, enrich or fulfill your life from a meal that you want it, the way that you want it, to um, a wireless plan, the way that you want it, to uh, customizing a car that you, whatever it may be. The world is full of options because one of the things that the world knows is that, that we are people who are hungry for more. I'm here to tell you that the only place that that hunger is going to be satisfied is in the person of Jesus. And so that's, that's really what Jesus is laying out. 
And he's not trying to coerce anyone. He's not saying, hey, this is another truth, and, and maybe you'll find that it works for you because we all kind of live in this, this, this time and season of relativity, and it's all relative truth, and you, you do you, and you find your truth. The problem with your truth versus my truth uh, is that we can continue to manipulate those truths. And, and I, can, I can say, this is my truth that I've found to be you know, good for me, and, and I'm just going to pursue that and chase that. But I can keep moving that goal line to suit my life. And, and, and we see that this world is full of that. And you wonder why we have conflict, and you wonder why we have strife, and you wonder why we have elected officials that, 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 that seem to only think of themselves, not what is best for humanity. And, and you wonder why we have horrific things done to the innocent because we have these this people groups of people and entire um, you know entire communities leaders who are living by a truth that is relative to themselves versus a truth that is outside of us and is fixed and I know that that sounds harsh but imagine if we were to take the things that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount, imagine if we were to look to Jesus as the fulfillment of the law, the completion of what it looks like to live in a way that is honoring to God, that's reflective of this new kingdom. Imagine if instead of trying to fight against what Jesus lays out as, as, and what we know as the Beatitudes, rather than trying to fight against being poor in spirit, trying instead to, um, we have this tendency, I don't, I don't, I don't want anybody uh, to know that I'm hurting or that I'm wanting or that I'm lacking. I, I, I want people to think that I've got it all together. Uh, instead of fighting against being poor in, in spirit, instead of fighting against mourning because of the stigma that comes with being unhealthy mentally or emotionally, instead of um, fighting against meekness, instead of um, fighting against hunger, uh, hungering for righteousness because we don't want to live by a truth that's outside of us. We want to make our own truth. Instead of fighting against these things, what if we embrace this because we said, you know what, for me to live this way, for me to live being willing to say that I don't have it all together, that I don't have everything put together, being willing to, to live and say, I, I, I believe that there is more. I'm disillusioned with this world, and yet my hope is that there is a kingdom that has come alongside this world that, that is the way that things should be, and I'm willing to live into that. I'm willing to give my life to that. Then, then all of a sudden we find that we are aligning ourselves and we are looking to something that has nothing to do with us and yet that we are invited to participate in and is made possible by the person of Jesus and what he accomplished on our behalf. So Jesus closes this Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if anyone, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice it's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against it, and yet the house did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Do you see that the common thread here between these two builders is that both have heard Jesus's words. Any of us who have heard Jesus's words, any of us who have spent time in scripture, particularly in the gospels, any of us who hear Jesus's words, we, our lives will be examined 
by this standard that Jesus lays forth. Anyone who hears these words, and, and, and what, what, is the, what is the defining characteristic? Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice versus anyone who hears these words and does not. And here's where I think this can be difficult for us. We, we know, many of us, how to play the part. Right? Before the storm comes, if we were merely to examine the structure, if we were merely to examine the house, and the illustration that Jesus is, is using would have been immediately familiar to those who were listening to it. They understood that, that in, in Jerusalem, that in that region, uh, there were rainy seasons. There was kind of the rainy season in the spring and then again in the fall. But outside of that, there wasn't, there wasn't not much moisture that fell from the sky. And, and so you had these, these wadis, these, these places where in the rainy season, the rain came and, and the waters rose. But, but prior to that, um, you had sand and soil that was baked by the sun and became hard. And, and you would think, yeah, this looks like a great place for me to, um, to build my home. And, and so people would, would build their homes. And, and imagine how much more efficient and how much more quickly you could build a home if you just picked a, a, a spot of, of hard packed dry ground and you erected your house there versus the one who, who had to dig down to the bedrock to the, the, the place where a foundation could be laid that, that had nothing to do with the soil that was on top. Uh, and and that's, that's what we're tempted by. That's what the world offers us. Hey, why don't you choose something that's efficient? Yeah, just believe a couple of these things, check these boxes, be a good person and you'll be fine. Yet Jesus, that's not what he calls us to. He doesn't simply call us to be good people or to be better than the person next to us. He doesn't simply call us to check a couple of boxes and we'll be fine. What the cross tells us is that, hey, you're not fine. And you can't add anything to your life that will make you fine. The cross tells us that we're not fine and yet there is, there is an answer to the problem that all of us share and his name is Jesus. So the question is not the structure of the house because before the storm you could look at my life, you could look at the life of someone who has been coming to church their entire life and yet would say, yeah, I believe Jesus died on the cross but he's not the Lord of my life. You could probably look at those two lives and say, I'm not sure which is which. The thing that is going to expose that upon which we have built our lives are the storms of life. It is in the storms that the foundation is exposed. It is in the storms that, that the thing that we placed our trust in is exposed. If it is wealth, if it is relationship, if it is things that we can gain and possess, then the storms of life are going to expose that that is a weak foundation and that life is going to crumble and we are going to realize that everything that we've placed our hope in is now lying in a pile of rubble on the ground where the one who built their foundation on the words of Jesus and said, I believe these enough to order my life after them. I believe that where Jesus says I should be salt and light, it means that I should try to affect the environment around me for the kingdom of God. I believe 
that when, when Jesus said, I should not murder, I could say, hey, I'm not a murderer, but have I hated someone? Have I been angry enough at someone to, to want to cause them harm? Then if so, I need to deal with that because Jesus says that's just like murder. Jesus says, hey, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I tell you that if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. In that moment, Jesus made an adulterer out of every man that was listening to him invites us to deal with that. It's not just what I'm presenting on the surface. It's the foundation on which I've decided to root my life and inherently my identity in the person of Christ. Because when the storms of life come, as someone who has, has, has sought to root their, their life on the foundation of living out the things that Jesus teaches, might I lose everything? I might. Absolutely. Everything might be stripped away. And yet, if the foundation of my life are the words of Jesus, then I know that everything being stripped away, even that does not define who I am. Even that does not have the final say. But it is Christ who has the final say over my life. Friends, this is, this is difficult teaching from Jesus. And, and you notice that the rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And then, that's it. That's the end of the sermon. I mean, that, that feels a little bit like hellfire and brimstone. There's no like, hey, you know, but if you, if you want, we can, let's talk some more about this. Or just invite you to maybe think about this. I mean, Jesus just ends. And then the, the next thing that we see happen is Jesus comes down the mountain. There's a, there's a man with leprosy there who says, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus says, and I love this, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to meet you right where you are. Because I love you. But friends, he loves us enough not to leave us in that place. To lay out for us what life as a citizen in God's kingdom ought to look like. And then to say to us, hey, unless you're willing to hear these words and live them out to become a doer of what I'm teaching you, then everything that you're building your life on is ultimately going to turn to rubble because the storms will come. It's not a question of if, it's a question of, of when. I want us to consider this, this quote from uh, C.S. Lewis. This is from Mere Christianity. Some of you have heard this before. He says, imagine yourself living as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed uh, doing, and so you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abom abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. Friends, to choose to root our lives on the foundation of hearing the words of Jesus and then doing them is going to be difficult. It is going to cost us 
Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow after me. It's not a question of when suffering comes. It's not a question of when persecution comes. It's not a question of when it seems like the world is against us. Uh, it's, not, it's not a question of, of whether or not any of those things are going to happen. It, it is when. Because Jesus intends to abide in us, to make his home within us, to root us even more deeply in the reality of this kingdom that he has come to build on this earth. There will come a day when everything is made right, when there are no more tears, when all tears have been wiped away, when there's no more mourning, there is no more sadness, no more death, when all things are as they were intended to be from the beginning. And as the church, as those who would root our lives in the things that Jesus teaches to become doers of his word, we have an opportunity to bring that kingdom a little bit nearer. We have an opportunity to make that kingdom a little bit more of a reality until the day that Jesus returns and establishes it forever. And the work that he does on your life by refining you, by knocking out a wall here, by redoing this, by taking your life that you have been attempting to build for yourself, the work that he does by doing a complete remodel is because his hope and his intention is to come and make his home with you, in you. Doing something far more glorious than what our short-sightedness shows us. And I believe that one of the great places that we can begin, and I want to close with this, as I said, I'd invite you to go back and spend time with the Sermon on the Mount and examine um, these things that Jesus taught in that great collection that Matthew captures to examine your life against those things. But, but maybe this is the place where we begin. Matthew 22, beginning with verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus knew what they were up to. He knew this was a trap. And he responded, how? As one who had authority, right? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. What the people of Israel knew as, as the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Other translations say with all of your passion, with all of your strength. Love the Lord your God with everything that you are. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Perhaps for us, that is a beautiful place to start when we are considering what it would look like for us to dig down and root the foundation of our lives on the bedrock that is Jesus and the things that he teaches to begin there. God, am I loving you with everything that I am? All of my thoughts, all of my intention, all of my affection, all of my passion, all of my strength, all of my will. Because if we're not, and if we really honestly take that question before the Lord, he is faithful, church, to reveal to us where we are failing to love him with all that we are. He's faithful to reveal it to us and faithful to show us how we can do that. And then we get to examine before him, God, am I loving the 
people around me with your heart. Also faithful to reveal to us. Because while Jesus is willing to teach and proclaim the truth unapologetically, he, he also is willing to, to meet us freely. He's also willing to offer us grace that reveals to us our brokenness, reveals to us our shortcomings, but then invites us into more with Him. So we, as we consider what it means to be disciples of Jesus, may we avoid what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace, grace that doesn't really change us, grace that doesn't really do anything in our lives. And instead, may we see grace as being costly. First of all, it cost Jesus, the one whose name we lift above all others, it cost him everything. But also grace that might work in our lives, it's costly because it reshapes us. It causes us, causes us and calls us to root our lives on a foundation that is immovable, that will not be shaken, no matter the storm that comes. Amen? Stand and pray with me. Gracious God, we are, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful that it is alive and active. We are thankful, most of all, for the true word, Jesus. The one who has been with you since the beginning. The one who is light in the darkness. The one who, who proclaims and invites us into a truth that is outside of us. A truth that God can be used to reshape us and challenge us and give us life. And we thank you that that truth is rooted in the good news of the cross. That when we hear Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, we know that, that life is found in him. Not because it's a life that we have built for ourselves, but it's a life that is rooted and built on the goodness of who he is and the goodness of the instruction that he offers. Lord, help us to be a church who lives our lives on that foundation. May we be doers of your word. May the world around us know something of who Jesus is because of the way that we order our days, because of the way that we think of the time that you have given us, because of the way that we interact with those that we disagree with. God, help us to be doers of the word. Yes, so that our foundation will be firm. Yes, so that our lives will be rooted in something permanent. But more than that, so that this world around us that is wandering around in darkness may see in us light and may find in us hope. May we always be a people who point to Jesus. It's in his name that we ask these things by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, let's worship together.